Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is David Cook. Welcome to another episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. And I have my uh, standby, reliable, trustworthy, great, <laughs> um, almost full-time co-host, Sharon Ree with me. Hi, good morning, Sharon. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for that, Dave. I'm happy always to be here in conversation with you. This is a blast. It always is good. What I really like about it is that I tell everybody that, you know, the big part of the show is that we have natural conversations. But uh, whenever I invite you and tell you what to share with you, my vision of what the topic is, you always show up with little ideas. Um, you you do some prep work and do some research. So I appreciate your commitment um, to to being the, the not only just a guest, but actually the truly take the responsibility of co-host. So thank you for that. You're welcome. My pleasure. So today we are going to talk about fear. And the, uh, I actually went through the trouble of titling this podcast, you know, Fear, uh, an Unhealthy Distraction to an Inspired Life. And and the reason that, I, that the, this title resonated with me is, um, I, I guess there's a backstory for everything. But, uh, la, you know, last week I had uh, Kate Turner on and we talked about beliefs. And as we talked about beliefs and we were engaging in some conversations about that, about beliefs and truths and, um, you know, what we would call uh, subjective realities or whatever. Um, you know, it was interesting how, as we got deeper into the conversation, how fear defines how we, you know, embrace truth and belief, you know, how, how they're so ingrained. I thought it would be great to spend some time talking about you know how we how we come about you know how how we develop our fears you know what are what what fears are real what feels are fears are perceived um how fears uh, uh show up in our life and and the impact that they have you know because you know the old saying is uh what is it um uh fear what it was the acronym i just drew a complete False blank. evidence appearing real yeah yeah we we you know we anticipate what's going to happen you know, what's the worst that can happen? And we focus on what's the worst that can happen as though it is possible. And sure, it's possible, but is it likely? What's predictable? And depending on how much we embrace that, um, it really defines where we go from, from there. So I thought, let's 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 wade deep into the conversation about fears. I'm willing to talk about the things that, that um, certainly have interrupted my life because I sit in fear. But I'm curious, um, as you as you did some of your research, what did you uh, what jumped out to you as you were looking at fear and how it influences people? Um, you know, I like that you had a conversation previously. I'm sorry I didn't remember the name of your guest about beliefs, because I think fear is based individually upon your beliefs. And so what some people are afraid of, other people, it doesn't matter to them at all. Uh, based on their experience or what they believe. So I think fear isn't real until you make it real, just like stress isn't real until you make it real. Nothing is, in my opinion, anything to be afraid of until you apply what your belief is about whatever that incident is, that event is, that person is, all of those things. How does that sound as a beginning? Wow, man, that's pretty deep. You, you went into the deep end of the pool fast. Oh, wow. Um, um, which, is, which is okay. So we're going to back up. So, because um, I think that that is, a, there's there's a great concept there. So let's go. Um, fear, fear does not become real until we, it isn't real until we make it real. Right. And then you said after that, um, something that about it's what... individual. I mean, because what you might be concerned or afraid or just out of your mind about may have no relationship to me at all. Hmm. And so those two concepts that fear is individual and fear is based upon your beliefs gives me an opportunity to dissipate 
fear. Hmm. But you have to recognize it as fear. Exactly. Which is, which is the trick. Is this, you know, is this something that is real, is honestly, authentically real? Or is there something that I'm, I've created that I'm manifesting as real? Exactly. And, you know, it does trigger those uh, primal instincts of your amygdala, you know, for fight, flight, and freeze when you encounter something that you believe, either like you said, that's real fear for you that you need to pay attention to or something that you have made in your evaluation of your beliefs a fear, something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And then the the what happens is is how strong you make it, it defines then how how you respond to it. If it's a casual thought, says, you know, it's a concern as opposed to a fear or a worry as opposed to a fear. It's like, okay, you know, hey, I gotta be I'm aware of that, but you know, I'm gonna proceed anyway. But it's like, oh my gosh. And then you get into that thing where you're on high alert and that becomes a whole different behavior then. Is that exactly? Much- yeah, yeah. And I think as you were talking, what popped into this, fear is different if it's right in front of you or it's a thought about your future. Well, that's true. Talk about that a little bit more. Fear is is different if it's right in front of you, i.e. real. It is real. Yeah. Yeah. Danger. Or something that you're like looking, almost looking for. You're predicting it. You're looking for it. You're anticipating it. Exactly. Okay. That's and, I, int- and I think that's, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go, Dave. No, go ahead. You were curious. You know, for me, I'm really, I've, I do a lot of coaching around stress for people. And one of the really simple tools I have about managing, dissipating, eliminating, understanding, insert your word, (laughs) for stress is four letters that are very easy. (laughs) S-T-O-P. Stress, time, out, please. Mm. And what that does for me is whatever my thoughts, my beliefs, my even current stressful situation prohibits me from thinking logically. I'm in fight or flight mode, which is, you know, I just have to be safe again. And sometimes that's valuable. You just, if something's coming at you, whether it's a person, a truck, whatever, whether you have to be in fight or flight to save your physical self. But when you are anticipating or worrying, like you said, about something that has not yet happened, that stop, stress, time out, please, gives your brain a moment to step back from the fight or flight so you can discern and think about and analyze and uncover, is this real for me? And there's a whole bunch of questions after that that you can ask yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I was, and I was you know, going back to my conversation last week. We talked a little bit about, um, because you talked about there's instinct, you know, you're in a situation, you're walking down the street or you're driving in your car or you're having a conversation with something and, and internally a mechanism triggers and says, something's not right. Something's abnormal. Something I need to pay attention to. You get, you get triggered and that's your instinct saying, Dave, pay attention because something there's something that you need to you need to dial into be more alert more aware so we we could say that's fear but that's you know that's that's the that's the early stages of fear your body is triggering you to get on to pay to get to get in a different state um and then you go and you start to you kind of like mentally you start to pay attention and look around and observe because now you have to start to think about what am i looking for what i'm listening because something tells me that i that i'm um not safe whatever it is. Then there's the other one, which goes the other way is, is that we start in our head out of the gate, which is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And I start to, I start to say, Oh yeah. What are the things? And we make it, we, we actually drive it into our instincts and we, you know, we, it's reverse action. You know, it's like it's head driven instead of instinctual driven. Right. What I think I heard you say. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay. 
You know, I was thinking that the story that popped in my head when I was thinking about this is that this was, and this happened like 25 years ago, um, but I was with a group of people um, at a convention in New Orleans and we were walking along the Mississippi River, you know, back, you know, they have that really cool river walk area and stuff like that and a very high traffic area. And the person that I was, that was walking with me, you know, one of the people that was walking beside me was a woman. And as we were walking, she intentionally shifted her purse from outside to inside like so she was it was she moved her purse next to me and with that this guy went flying by oh okay and it was really obvious to me in, in the moment it's like holy crap that guy was getting ready to snatch her purse and i said yes. what what made you do that she said i don't know but i had a feeling there you go and she and she immediately responded to it um in that way and it was like oh my god i thought that was really cool but that's that's that instinctual thing. She sensed that something was wrong and she changed the dynamic in response exactly. to it. And okay. now if she didn't have awareness and willingness to respond to her, her instinct, what I understand and have experienced and share with other people is that your brain will talk you into or out of your instincts. And your instincts are often there to help you uh, analyze the fear in a very quick, instinctual way, just like a wild animal. But your brain logically could say, oh, I don't have to listen to that instinct. And then she would not have changed her purse and might have lost her purse. Mm -hmm. So and to me, in that instance that you described, Dave, fear was uh, stopped because the instinct took over and just allowed her to do what was natural. And she listened to it. That's that's the big thing. You have to trust it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking of another story, uh, actually not a story as much as conversations I had with parents when I, we were talking about addiction related um, stuff, you know, a child with substance abuse. And, you know, you know, the same you know, it happened with me. So I could talk more specifically to me. But there were times where I was 110% convinced based on the situation that my son was high. Right. And I didn't want to, conf I didn't want to confront him. Of course. And, and I learned later on that confronting isn't the thing to do anyway, but I didn't want to confront him about it because I was afraid that I was mm. wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I would tap dance around this, this emotion that something isn't right. I know it's not right, but I don't want to respond to it incorrectly in case I'm wrong. And so exactly. I then, then essentially what I did was I allowed my son's behavior to continue because I wouldn't allow myself to take control of the situation that was obvious to me because of my fears. Wow. So fear really stopped you in your tracks. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to insult my son. I didn't want to offend my son. I didn't want to disappoint him because he was trying to present to me that he was clean or sober, yeah. or whatever the, you know, the politically correct word is. And so I, what I did was I, I, I denied my ability to be safe mm -hmm. Yep. in order to protect his ability to be, to be who he was at a, at a cost. It came at a cost because of, of my fear. I allowed my fear to dictate my behaviors, even though my instincts said, you need to be afraid here, but I had a different yeah, set of yeah, fears. Yeah. I went to my head and I freaked out. So oh, no, you can't, don't make a mistake. Don't be wrong. Don't. And, but the, my instincts are going, pay attention, pay attention. Yes. Yes. You so, know. you know, that must've been really difficult. I've had that too with my daughter as a teenager where my instincts are saying, mm, something's not right here. But like you, as a parent trying to create a relationship with a teen, I don't know how old your son was, it, it felt like, you know, a teeter-totter. I, I don't want to be say the wrong thing because then I've stepped myself back six, <laughs> six days after trying to recover. Um, and that's where I think you and I as coaches, as teachers, as offerers of information, can help people get a toolbox or a bucket of different choices to pull from. Right. So you don't just have the confrontation choice. Right. You have the 
ask a question choice. You have the observation choice. You have the whatever other things you can do to acknowledge your fear and maybe get some information from the person in front of you, which was your son or my daughter. Right. Well, that, what I ended up um, coaching parents on was because the idea being is, is if your child in this situation, you know, um, a child that is is in, you know, active addiction, act, active substance use, they, they, even if you said, hey, you know, you're high. <laughs> I know, I know you're high. You know, don't, don't lie to me. Don't bullshit me. You're high. They're not going to go, ah, oh, yeah, busted. You're right. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. So I always said to parents, because parents say, I hate when my, my kids are always lying to me. Well, give me an example of when they lie to you. And then they say, well, when I ask them if they're high, well, I said, what's the win in them telling you the truth? They're right. trying to convey, they're trying to convey a message that they're not using. And also too, they're trying to hide their own shame that they are still in their active addiction. So their answer is going to be to find a way to convince you that they're not. So you're not going to get a straight answer. So the last thing you really need to do in that situation is to confront them with something with your truth, because they're going to deny right. it. And then you get an argument about that. So the shift that I made what told parents to make is, is that back to this thing that you just talked about, recognize how you're feeling in the moment. And you can say to your, your son or your daughter, or you can say to your spouse in a certain situation, right now, I'm in a place where I'm not feeling safe. There you go. And it, and it's my emotions, it's my feeling, it's my present. I'm not, I'm not asking you to accept it or deal with it, but it's what I'm experiencing. So I'm going to respond to the situation based on how I feel. And then in doing that, I'm able to step back and take control of the situation in my fear to respond to it in a way that's healthy for me. It doesn't have to be healthy for them. It has to be healthy for me because that's what we're talking about is how do we, when we're triggered by our instincts that something's going on, we have to be alert. What's the, what's the, what's the objective of flight, flight and freeze as how can I get, how if something's wrong. How do I get safe? Exactly. What do I need to be? So we respond to it that way rather than dive right in the middle of it and get into a big hubbub with somebody because um, we're afraid or whatever. So um, that's. And, and, you know, Dave, I think what you just described underscores where fear is individual. And then it, when you talk about how I feel, I statements, this is about me. There's less of a chance of the other person uh, receiving it in a fearful way that you're trying to make them be or, or, or say something about them that's going to cause them some shame. Mm-hmm. So you're really only centering around how you're feeling and then respond in that way. How can I make, and it may be some questions you ask the other person or not, or just sharing how you feel is, I think, what I'm hearing you say, a way to get yourself back to feeling safe mm-hmm. because you didn't resist not talking about your feelings because that's that really doesn't help you either. <laughs> no, well, it drives you deeper into the to, into the whole emotional quagmire. Um, and I used to, what I used to just tell parents in that situation too is is that uh, well, if you're really aware of how you want to respond to those situations, the nice thing about those, you know, I shouldn't say the nice thing, but the 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 reality of those situations is that if your child is in in is in active use or you know, let's just say your, your, your spouse is stepping out or your boss is, you know, confrontational or whatever. Those things don't just happen once they happen kind of over and over again. So you can step back and say, okay, when I'm in a situation where I'm not comfortable, I don't feel safe. How am I going to respond? You plan it out. And the other thing that you can do is you can also share that script with um, whoever you're sharing it with Um, say, look, I'm not going to get into an argument about whether you are or you aren't or whether this is right or wrong or whatever. But when I am in a situation, this is what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going to do. And I expect you to respect it. And, you know, that really underscores the titles a little bit. (laughs) It's not stop talking, but define your behavior and give that other person some information about how you're going to act, respond when you feel unsafe. And are in fear of whatever it is, whether you're in fear for their safety, you're in fear for the relationship, you're in fear for your job. The undercurrent of that is I'm afraid of some outcome that I don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to, I'm essentially calling a timeout. It's the, yeah. Which is the stop. Right. That's, that's why I love, that's why, I, that's why it resonated with me. It's like, and we just say to everybody, Hey, we're going to stop right here. And I'm, I'm not feeling safe. I'm not feeling trusted. I'm not feeling loved. I'm not feeling like we're having an honest conversation, whatever, but they, that trigger you say, okay, timeout. Let's step back. When the person says, Hey, you know, they want to defend it. So let's, let's, let's not engage right now. Let's, we can revisit this tomorrow. We can revisit this next week. But right now I need to take a step back and get to a place where I feel safe, where I'm comfortable. And that's not a criticism or judgment on you, but it means that I need to, I need to honor for myself what I need. And, you know, Dave, I think as I'm listening to you, I, I've, I've been in a relationship where uh, over time I realized our two personalities didn't allow what you just described. Let's take a pause back to happen because the person that is aware that a pause will give some space for a different interaction, the person that's in fear doesn't want to pause. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they just want to keep going to what they think is going to get that fear taken care of. I want to keep arguing. I need to get my point across. I want to keep talking. I need So that almost feels like an affront sometimes because I know that's how I felt until I understood the value of pausing and taking a space <laughs> mm -hmm. in a relationship, certainly not going to pause when fear hits you and there's a truck coming, there's no pausing happening. But when you're in a relationship where you can do what you said, which is, you know, things are getting heated, I'm getting upset, stop, stress, timeout, please, for me, so I can ask you for a timeout. Mm hmm and I think, you know, you're bringing up, uh, and, and when you talk about that too, you know, the, the person that, um, you know, the person or people on the other side of this, this event, um, because you're, because you're declaring um, that you're uncomfortable, that you're unsafe, that you need to, you need to protect, you need to step back, whatever the word is. Um, at that point in time, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they recognize that their behavior is causing something. Yes. And they want to defend it, protect it, correct yes. it, whatever. And, and sometimes it's, you know, you know, that you've put them on the defensive, not intentionally, but they, they themselves are on the defensive. No, no, that's not it. I mean, it's like, I understand. I'm not going to get into whether it is or it isn't. That's why I go, you know, back to that, a fear, you know, you know, asking my son if he's high and then having him say no. And then I, we get in this big argument. That was what I was afraid of. This way, I just like say, I'm not going to engage. My instincts say he's high. I'm not going to engage. I'm going to step back. I can always talk to him about why why I step back next day or the next time I feel safe, right? I can say, okay, you know, hey, I don't, you know, let me just explain what was going on, blah, 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 blah. The situation is different. They go, well, that wasn't really the case. Okay, but I'm just able, I'm just sharing with you what I was experiencing in the moment. Right. If yep. that wasn't the case, tell me what was, you know, help me understand then what was going on from your perspective. So that you can have a safe conversation about the event of the past that caused you to be in fear. But what you do is you need to protect and defend your right to step back from a place of fear to find a place of safety. Exactly. And, you know, I was just thinking about what other offerings we could give as how to manage fear, step back from fear, not let fear control you. And one of the ones that I use for myself is that what, what you do and how you repeat, your brain connects. So if you constantly are in fear of something, your brain is going to go, oh, okay, we're in fear of this, so this is what we do. And just a crazy example, you know, in a time when I was less confident about mail or bills coming in, I didn't want to go to the mailbox. <laughs> Because I was just assuming whatever mail was in there was going to be bad. Mm -hmm. And over time, I had to figure out why am I so afraid to go get the mail? Because more often than not, it wasn't. So I had to really sit with myself and go over the history of, like you said, what's the worst case scenario when I pick up the mail? But what's the best case scenario when I pick up the mail? And balance it out with either one, you'll be able to manage, Sharon, because here's how you manage 
the worst case scenario. And here's how you got surprised by the best case. So just go with a neutral space, walk your feet forward (laughs) to the mailbox. But the basic gist of that is, you know, balance what your history of how you've reacted has taught you that this is a fearful thing Mm -hmm. with what's the best case scenario that can happen instead of only the worst. So you start to balance that out. Right. Well, we talk about that, um, you know, again, you know, I I refer a lot because a lot of things I've learned that I talk about on the show have been intensified learning exercises, dealing with a child with substance abuse issues and coaching moms and dads and the whole family dynamic. Um, even though I have the same thing in the corporate world, but it was much more intense emotional levels <laughs> with families <laughs> and kids than than corporate. But um, one of the things that we're talking about is, um, and we'll come after we come back from break, we'll talk about that. Is is uh, future casting? Yes. Yeah. You know, we we future cast. We say, and or and it also becomes that we start to, like you said, we start to look for the negative because that's where future casting where future casting is everything every time i do this it's negative every time i do this it's negative instead of saying what's the opportunity exactly and then then the other thing that that really clouds our um our our social life today is you know what we call for me i hear it a lot is what aboutism yeah yep And so I think when we come back from break, we, you know, we will expand on that, you know, because I think we did a, uh, I think we did a really good job of covering kind of like the, um, uh, you know, the individual understanding of, you know, recognizing fear, how to respond to fears and in the one-on-one dynamic. Now let's, you know, kind of look at some of those things, how we kind of create fear (laughs) instead of like deal with actual fear. And we'll talk about what about isms and future casting and those kind of things. Does that sound like a good idea for you? Yes. <laughs> know, you know, when I said what about isms, you kind of go, yeah, I know. That's no, be- because mine is what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Yeah, you, uh, my daughter you could- is uh, a captive of that question. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right, we will come back and we were going to talk about um, the what ifs in life and finding ways to look at things instead of looking at the fear-based outcomes, look at the opportunities in our actions. Um, and, and stay tuned. Look forward to hearing from you uh, on the other side of our commercial break. Yes. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope, and according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. 
And we're back. This is David Cook with Ron Ray. We are talking about fear. I'm terrified. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I'm afraid that this show just isn't going the way it planned. And I'm sitting here like sweating it out. That'd be fear. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm being. We when we took a break. Oh, by the way, I did write down this number. It is eight 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 three four six nine one four one. I would love. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we usually end up. You know, for those people who listen to this show, uh, download it. Um, we have about anywhere from 50 to 100 active uh, live listeners. Um, I would encourage you to call in and join the conversation. Sharon and I can carry this, but it's always fun to have more people in the party. So I would encourage you to join us uh, if you have a question or a comment or a story. And the number is 888-346-9141. Uh, when we took a break, I had made a commitment that we were going to talk about what ifs and uh, what about isms. And um you know, was, it, it, the funny thing is, is that there's one scene in a movie that just I love. I love the scene in the movie. The movie is Parenthood. I don't know if anybody's watched it with Steve Martin and you know, a bunch of cast of other characters that names escape you know, this old mind of mine. But anyway, Steve Martin um, has his youngest of uh, three kids is a little bit challenged. He's not very athletic. He's highly sensitive, and his kid is the worst kid on the team. And Steve, you know, constantly is you know, spending time, but in the scene in the movie, his son catches him um, at towards the end of the movie. Steve Martin said, "You know, what if he hadn't caught that ball?" And his wife says, "You threw him a million fly balls. Chances are he's going to catch it one time." Yeah, but what if he didn't? Well, but yeah. he did. What if he didn't? But he did. What if he? Didn't? And they went back and forth like three. It was so cute. And so that's that whole idea about the what ifs. What if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't go as planned? What if it doesn't end up as I dreamed? What if it's a terrible mistake? What if, and those, you know, how realistic is that when you really think about it? What if, what if every time I open the mailbox, it feels like uh, right. there's, there's bad news in there? What if every phone call is negative? What if every well, relationship turns out poorly? So can I add to that a little bit? What's the worst that can happen? And then you, discern how you're gonna... I think that that's really what it is. When you step back and you say, what's the worst thing ever? So you get on the table, yeah, what's the likelihood of that happening? Well, and then you have an honest conversation with it, which really probably isn't going to happen. Okay, cool. So what is predictable? Let's pivot to the opportunity. What is predictable? Well, you know, what's predictable is, you know, probably this, this, and this is something why wouldn't you? And then you know, the other thing that I think about when I look at those, you know, those two extremes, one is like, but then you sit there, you kind of like in the middle, you go, if you, if you, back to what you said, if I'm focusing on the negative, I'm, I'm, op- I'm stepping forward, but I'm afraid that, I'm afraid of, that's what I start looking for. And it slows my pace down, it slows my energy down, it almost, it almost like puts me in inaction, because I'm looking for, you know, it's talk really slowly, instead of saying... I'm on a beautiful stroll. This is a beautiful walk. I'm going to see what life has in store for me. And I will respond accordingly. Your pace, your energy, your um, uh, whole thing is an entirely different lifestyle than if you're saying, look, look. And then you see you see that minor thing and say, there it is. You know, yeah. so there's, you know, there is danger out here. Well, yeah, there's always danger. There's always risk. Is that, what you want, you- is that where you want to live? Then... Exactly, Dave, because in all of the everything, all of the opportunity, possibility, everything's out there. (laughs) You get to choose which one you're going to interact with by how slowly you walk, how cautiously how you walk, how you run, how you get excited, how you stop yourself in your tracks because the fear, the what ifs, the what about isms have overtaken your own ability to move forward. That's a choice. Yeah. Because the belief is just something that you over and over and over time have come to think is true for you. And, you know, as you were talking about what's the worst and what's the best, I know when my girls were growing up as a parent of teenagers where life looks very different now than it did when I was growing up, there's way more things that could happen. I think one of the things that helps you dissipate fear, like you said, is what are the predictable things? 
What are the things that you can give yourself some information about so that when in the future, if something comes up, you have already thought it through. So I would go, okay, they're in the teen years. I cannot be with them 24 seven. What's the worst that can happen? Well, they could die. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to deal with that? They could get pregnant. How am I going to deal with that? They could go to jail. How am I going to, so all of those worst scenarios I already had in my idea that I've sort of in my mind lived them a little bit. So I know what can happen. Now I put that on the shelf because that's none of the stuff I want to happen. (laughs) And And so now I'm going to focus on the now what's happening now. How can I deal with now? And it's, and the thing is about the things specifically to your examples, um, it's a hundred percent possible anyway. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, that, that was the conversations we had, you know, um, you know, with, with parents that said, but my son could die. Yep. Yep. And, and you could, and you could love them in every perfect way. They could find recovery in every perfect way and they still could die. Exactly. So let's not operate under what things, you know, that could happen that could happen anywhere. Let's talk about the things that could happen in the behavior. You know, and you know, when I was doing research, Dave, that's that was one of the things that kept coming up is that the basic one primary basic fear element is death. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of death. And so anything that has any relationship with the possibility of death, people don't want to think about it. So it becomes a fear that you can't move forward. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because when we talk about that and I, you know, my, my, you know, my father passed away two and a half years ago and I still kind of, I, I beat him up a little bit. But I think when my dad turned about 50, I think that he felt like he was, um, he was on the other side, he was counting down and I, and maybe it was when he turned 60, but it just felt like there was a stage in his life where he started to focus on the things that could kill him instead of the things that he could live. Yeah. Oh, and um, it, it interrupted his joy and because and also too, what it did was it accelerated his, his sickness. It accelerated yes. his age, you know, and I find myself doing that at times. I'm a little frustrated. I feel like, you know, and I, and I will own to this. I don't know that it's a fear, but it's this, this, well, it is a fear. You know, I'm, I'm 66 and a half. I'm going to be 67 in February. I feel young. I have a youthful energy. I have a youth, youthful presence, but in my head, I'm old. I'm 67 years old almost. And so it's like, yeah, I'm nearing the end of my life that that because of that, there are things that I can't do now because I don't know that I have time to do them or that I can. You know, so I start to tell myself a story of and it's really fear based, right? Yeah, that I'm, sure. that I'm at a place where I can't do it because when in truth, I can do it. I can do it just because. Because exactly. I can, just because I can do it. But I've gotten into this story that, yeah, you know, I'm starting over or engaging in this new thing or taking a chance. No, you know, I'm, I got to be conservative. I got to be safe. I got to be. And so what that that fear of approaching death and not having time or the risk associated with the things as a relates, you know, what, you know, that I need to be able to sustain my life into my 80s interrupts my ability to see things for see the opportunities for what they are. You know, I hope that those two perspectives inside you, one of the ones that I want to win is your youthful spirit, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot. I have a lot of cheerleaders standing on that side of the road and I have only one person on the other side of the road and it's me. So, okay, so we're out of numbering you. We love you're it. outnumbering. I hear, I hear, I hear the message every day, somewhere, you know. So it's it's yes. true, but it's still it's a powerful it's it's a powerful force that 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 thing inside your head, the story that you're telling yourself back to your belief, which is how we got there, you know, last week, is that I hang on to this belief and it becomes a story I tell myself as though it is true. Well, it is true for you but you have to to recognize the source of the truth yeah and i think the 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 things that you said that hit me as like a firefly firelight spotlight is that it's my story i wrote it i can change it (laughs) no i don't have to go to anybody else it will take a little effort 
a little uh, compassion for myself to come back from what I've uncovered that I don't want, but I keep saying it is. And part of, again, science, you know, that old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes, you can, because the brain is pliable and what it repeats, it learns. So just start repeating something different. It will learn that mm -hmm. and thereby uh, guide you to your youthful spirit that is on the other side of that thing that we're not going to talk about anymore because it's not true. <laughs> right. right. And it and it is. It's, it, it is. it is conditioning myself to focus on what's the opportunity. Exactly. What's driving that opportunity and how do I in a healthy way respond to my fears? I don't need to I don't need to recognize them own them in a sense that that they slow me down but let's respond to it is it is it is it is it false evidence appearing real is it a histo historical story that i've told myself or a belief that i've attached for years um can i change the story if i can and like you said i can change the story how do i change the story so that i can embrace the opportunity before me and accept the risks for what they are um because there everything is in the unknown tomorrow is not given to us there are no guarantees of how things are going to turn out you know, so you're making you a know, note it's on something. Interesting. I think I think you're right that tomorrow is not promised, but today is. Yeah. So, so we're here right now. Live the right now. And that's something that I think fear takes us away from is either fear and regret and assumption that things are going to turn out the way they did in the past or fear in the future that they're not going to turn out the way I want them to. And we're, we're eliminating, I think, Dave, it's pretty clear we're eliminating the emergency, urgent truck, train, something coming at you. These are the, mm -hmm. the things that you have control over, which are your thoughts and your beliefs mm -hmm. and your attitude about whatever your thoughts and beliefs are. It's interesting. So Control is the thing that popped up in my head because I was thinking about this is that when we go to the whataboutisms and that kind of stuff, is um when we when we step forward into the unknown we are releasing our fears yes okay um and that that's that's a trick in and of itself because you know you back to my example is, is that i've ingrained this in my head i have my fears i have these things that are to me are true and i'm 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 letting them i'm trying to find ways to release them to a new story or a new belief but what I'm really doing is I'm releasing control to a story I've told myself. Exactly. For the opportunity to discover what's out there, um, letting go. And I, and I was, uh, something I just popped in my head, a little metaphor. I think I've used this before. So for those who are in a different context, but I, I used to have a, um, one of my mentors talked about, um, you know, you have, you have a lot of anchors. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know how an anchor works on a boat? And this is kind of, he says, an anchor keeps the boat in place. But he says, the funny thing is, you can let out as much rope as you want on the boat so that you think you're going somewhere. But all you can do is pivot around <laughs> the anchor. So you can only go so far. And so you get the illusion that you're going somewhere. But if you have an anchor that's keeping you in place, all you're going to do is go around in circles and you're going to only go so far. So you need to find a way to hoist the anchor, release the anchor, so you can see where the where other places where the boat can go. Right. And I think I thought that was so powerful. But to release the anchor, why do we have the anchor? We drop the anchor because um, we want to keep the boat in place. We want to be safe. Exactly, and I think therein lies our own personal ability to define safe. Right. Like, like what is it? that I have control over in my mind and in my physical body that will equal safety for me. Because I'm well aware that people that are extreme sports people have a very different idea of what safe is versus somebody who's sitting at home and not afraid and afraid to go out of their door. Yeah. So once again, we all get the opportunity to define our life. And that anchor to me, I was just thinking, I don't know if this is, it just came in my head that part of the opposite of fear is faith. Mm -hmm. And faith is in your ability to decide, adjust, rearrange your life so that you live more in that I have control, I have faith, rather than I'm out of control and I have fear or I'm stuck 
like my anchor. Right. And well, and I, just going back to something that we we opened the show with, I know there's a topic you want to touch on, so I got to watch my time because this time goes so fast. But anyway, <laughs> there's there's real fear and there's pretend fear. But the thing is that we focus on the story that we're telling about ourselves. I like go back to my story about the you know the story I'm telling myself. The other story that is there is what I've what I've accomplished despite the the challenge. That's a truth. All that that's a truth. And the, so that back to the faith piece. Do I want do I want to release? Um, do I want to be captive to my fears or what I'm afraid of based on the story I'm telling me? Or do I want to embrace the story of what's really true about me? Yes, there you go. And there the truth is, is that I've accomplished a lot in the storm. I've done great things in the face of a challenge. I've I've accomplished a lot in the presence of opportunity. So what makes me think this isn't going to be that? Well, unfortunately, I can hear my my people that are in that what isms <laughs> saying, well, the circumstances are different. Yeah, the circumstances are different, but you are the constant in any circumstance in your life. And if you start to have faith in you and your abilities and courage that you can overcome anything based on what, like you said, Dave, what you have overcome already. Yeah, history has proven that you have. Yes. Yeah, and that's I love an excellent that. segue into what. Where is fear a motivator? Where is fear a good thing? Where well, you, is fear an opportunity? Run with it. You Almost have five. Done? You have five minutes. It's oh, okay. I'm going well, to give you the. I'm going to you take the lead on this. Go. <laughs> okay. Well, I think fear, as you can imagine, for like I said, an extreme sports person is a motivator. I love the fear of, am I going to make it? Or I can make it. I can do this. How many people enjoy being afraid at a scary movie or a roller coaster ride? You know, it's not a prohibitor for those types of personalities that love the adrenaline rush of fear. And fear can also be for those people that, you know, procrastinate. Maybe it's not procrastination. Maybe you enjoy the fear of, I only got two days and I got to get this project out. So I'm going to work hard and do it. <laughs> so I don't. I would like us to always have that balance that things are not just on one side. You know, there are fears that stop you, but there are also fears that motivate you. Mm -hmm. So explore where it's not always a bad thing that fear is. It's also something that in, can enrich and enhance your life. Mm -hmm. There was a um, guy that my when my son got his PhD, you know, what do they call it? They have a hooding ceremony, you know, you get a and it's a big deal. And the guy talked about adventures and he gets where uh, yeah, we are getting run out of time. But anyway, he said, you know, a true adventure is one where there's a story where you look back and you realize you escaped death. <laughs> there's that death again. Yeah, but they celebrate it. It's like, oh, yeah, we were in this situation. We had no idea how we were going to get through it. And then they'd have this great story and a great celebration of a very unpredictable outcome. And they were thrilled. But when when you really look at the story, it began with, oh, my gosh, this is the beginning of the end or this is the end of the end. Yes. And they, and, you went, know and, they and they embraced it and survived and found a way to celebrate the outcome that at the moment wasn't predictable. And how many speakers, motivational, inspirational, do we hire that are stuck on their anchor? Mm -hmm. Not many. We want to hear the stories of people overcoming death, overcoming an obstacle, chasing and overcoming their fears. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's life. <laughs> Every well, day. You know, the funny thing is when I, again, this show isn't really about me, but I like to use stories to relate back to people. But when I look at my greatest accomplishments or the things that I celebrate, back to your thing, is they're all physical. Yes. Okay. And the reason they're all physical is because I I have this extreme sense of confidence that I can do, I can face the challenge. Oh, and isn't that something? Because mine are mostly emotional and mental. Oh man, my when I go that in down that path, I just I I suck. I I trip over <laughs> myself. 
But man, yeah, you throw down the gauntlet of challenge, Dave, you know, like my 100 day challenge or riding my bike across the country or losing 50 pounds or, um, you know, winning a race in swimming. Oh, yeah, man, you know, challenge me physically, you know, emotionally, physically, there is no fear. It's like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll kick your ass if I have to. But when I when I have to step back and I have to engage in this unknown where there are other things at play and I feel like I'm not in complete control because, you know, other things are around me. Um, yeah, man, I I battle. It's funny, you know, so. Yeah, we See, do compliment. That's the compliment of the both of us. I have become in love with the unknown. I, I just in my mind, in my heart. I just want to walk into something that I'm unaware of how it's going to turn out because again, my belief is it's always going to turn out well Yeah. because it always has. And the reason it's turned out well, here's the kicker is how I see it. Yeah. Yes. In, in, in those situations, I'm successful, but it's only, I'm only successful if I'm not thinking about it. Mm. I mean, it's, I'm just engaging in the, I'm just, I'm just stepping into the space. But if I have, if I do any thinking about process, outcome, planning, structuring, it's, I, I, I stopped it. I slow the journey down, if not stop it. Yep. That's jumping out of a pair of a plane for me. I can't think about that. If I ever want to do it, I better just jump, but not right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we, as always ran out of time, but uh, Sharon, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I know you'll be back. We'll find another subject for you and I to dive deep into, but thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. This is always fun. Appreciate you. And for everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us. And remember, um, open your heart, open your ears, open your mind, because once you start listening, everything changes. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week. <laughs>